Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> okay, t- today I was given <coughs> a sermon um, on Philippians 4.47. Um, but before we start, because I'm jumping right in, right at the end, with one of the major themes that runs through Philippians, I thought let me at least give you some of the, um, a little rundown on where it is, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get stuck into the sermon. Um, well, going to the next slide. Here's the yellow dot over there. These um, Philippi. This is the th- the church that the letter has been written to, and in Acts, we get told of what's happened there. You see, Paul and Silas, they were, they were traveling on the coast and they, and they couldn't go inland. And what happens is God gives them a dream and they say that they searched the dream and they said that it came from God. So they decided that, yes, it is sovereign, a sovereign God gave us this dream and the dream was about a man that needed their help. Um, from Macedonia. And they go across there and they go to Philippi and they're down at the river and there are these, these women and they speak to them. And one of the ladies over there, Lydia, she believes what he says and she's saved. Not only her, but her whole household. But it doesn't end there. They go out and they're trying to preach to these people. And one of the, one of the ladies has a, a spirit of divination. And eventually she provokes Paul and he casts out this, this um, spirit. But the thing is there's a financial implication for this because now all, this, all of a sudden the owners of, of, of this lady were very upset. And they take Paul and Cyrus to the courts and they end up um, flogging, whipping, throwing Paul and Silas in jail, putting them in the stocks. But that's not the end of the story. That night when they're rejoicing at what God's doing, there's an earthquake, and the doors fling open, and the, the, the guy that's in charge of the jail, he comes down there, and he's just about to kill himself. Why? Because you don't let slaves free. And Paul shouts out, no, we're still here. Come on. We'd all be the first ones out of the door. But he's not, he's there. And he speaks to the jailer once to know how can he be saved. And, he, and his house will also get saved. This is after beating um, and eventually, well, they are Romans, uh, Roman citizens, and they didn't get a fair trial. So if you want to go about fairness, I re- reckon we'd be quite irritated with that. I'm sure that wouldn't be leaving our minds. But that's what happened. Um, then in 1 Thessalonians, he, he, he writes again, about the same thing. He says, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that, that our visit to you was not a failure. 
you know how badly we were treated in Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered for that. Yet our God gave us the courage and declared his good news to you boldly in spite of the great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impurity, pure motives or trickery. Now look at the focus of, of that. Sorry, I should have put these things on so I can read. Um, he was focused on the spiritual things that were going on. Amidst all this other stuff, what would your letter sometimes look like? I bet it's going to be, I was treated unfairly, I was whipped, I was, come on. After being whipped, you would not forget that. And our focus is quite often on the negative. But that's not where Paul's focus is. He's focused on what God's doing, the saving of families. It was a success. It's not that he's forgotten about whatever, but that was his priority. So let's pray. Dear Lord, let us see your, your hand in our lives and around our lives, the people we interact with. And let us focus on these good things that you give us, these heavenly gifts, that we can see that you are with us. You're not distant, but you're right there with us. And I pray that you'll work in our hearts so that we can hold on to these truths, truths of who you are and who you want us to be. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Okay, the, the reading is Philippians 4, 4-7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. The first sentence is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, rejoice is joy. And how do we see joy? We know that we experience joy, and quite often we might say we experience joy when we get a lot of money. Yay! <laughs> Lotto. Education. When you succeed in your, your education, you were joyful. Everybody's celebrating. There's a party, a bit. Status? A new car? How about in some donuts? Cleaning your house. How can you get some people over? Neat garden. We're going to have a bright side. What about your children? Have you ever seen, seen people's joys when they look at their kids? But the thing is, how does joy, that kind of joy, last? Because what happens when? Your children don't do what you expect. The grass starts growing outside. The house is a mess after your guests come. Education is starting to dwindle away and you're not keeping up. Money is, money is quite sparse. 
all of a sudden you don't have joy anymore. It seems to fade really quick. And then, and then where is your joy? So we're going to be looking at joy from a number of perspectives because it speaks about joy, but what does the Bible say about joy? What does Jesus say about joy? Because that will give us a clearer indication of how we should actually look at joy. So we'll be looking at joy in hardship. Joy in one another. The promises of God. Jesus, our example of joy. Be joyful because of who God is. And then we'll look at, is joy a feeling or an action? Quite often, it's the hard times, and there's a lot of hard times in life. We seem to always be going through some kind of hardship. There's much pain, hardship, strife. But these are all temporary. Let's read, it's 1 Peter 1.6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, <clears throat> so, that the te- so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, <clears throat> that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get tested. We know Job. He was tested. If, if, if somebody was tested, it was definitely him. But the thing is that this is all short term. We are like a vapor. Our life's going to be spent so quickly. And we look at it as if these hardships we go through are something that's never going to end. Sometimes perspective sort of makes it clear. In hardship, focus on the promises that God will give you. That life he's going to give you. A heavenly home with Jesus, our Savior. If I asked you, okay, now with joy, what about if I said, let's be humble? Surely you will need to be consistently crushed on every side, facing constant setbacks and owning your mistakes to be humble. Think, thinking yourself less than others and being a servant to them. Jesus, Jesus washed his, his servant's feet. It seems like it takes a huge amount of effort for sometimes us to grasp some of these spiritual attributes that we want to apply in our lives. If you wanted to be an athlete, you would train for many hours each day and you would have no problem boasting on the effort that you'd put in. I've heard you. On diet, <laughs> I was running for about three hours this week. I missed at least six meals. I've heard you. And 
you know, just wanting everybody to know about it. But then what about the other attributes? Because joy is one, one, one of the things that we should also be. How do you boast about that? What about, and this is only one of the, of the spiritual gifts that we get from the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control. It's just one. But they're all linked as well. So how much time, if I'd asked you, that you've invested in, in this kind of training, in your spiritual gifts? It's a fair question. You'd be quite happy if I asked, how's your diet going? But what about when it comes to your, how you look at spiritual gifts? The gifts that, the gifts that God looks like gold and silver, things that are important to God. Somehow we see where our focus is and it sort of breaks our heart because we know how God feels. Joy in the unity of the, <coughs> the unity of the Lord. We should always hold a long-term perspective like Paul, whose goal was an upward and heavenly calling. So if this is our goal, what would the medium and short-term goals be like if we are going to be children of God? What will it look like for you to be called a good and faithful servant of God? Paul looked for spiritual fruit, the striving together in one spirit, having one mind striving side by side for, <clears throat> for the faith of the gospel. We need to look at the world through God's eyes so that we can have a heavenly goal. The book of Matthew says, Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Note that your goal and your work will be towards an everlasting goal. A joy that cannot be taken away. Nothing that you do for Christ will be lost. Now, Paul, now Paul's joy comes from not only the church who was sending him monetary gifts for his imprisonment, but from the gifts of fellowship with the people that have come to see him and the items that they had brought, physical and spiritual gifts that he needed. Note that the physical gifts are a reflection of the work that God is doing in their hearts. A potential sign of an everlasting sequence of events that will lead to the senders maturing in Christ. Joy in the promises of God. Philippians 1.3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he 
who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The two things that stand out in that, in that passage over there. First, it is God that brings about the work of completion. Secondly, Paul is the same person that was beaten and treated badly. God does not stop working when life throws you a lemon. Does Jesus not tell Simon that when Satan has finished shifting the disciples like wheat, that he should strengthen them? Hardship prepares you to help others. Be it death, divorce, retirement. In this letter, God was saving people despite the abuse that was going on. Paul was focused on what God was doing. Jesus, our example of, of joy. Hebrews 12, 2 reads, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was whipped. He was hung on a cross so you could be saved. The people that God has set aside, they would be Christ's. This is our God. Then we've got joy because of who God is by Habakkuk. In where he says, I heard and my heart pounded. And this is while they were being persecuted by the nations around. I heard, you can hear battles, and my heart pounded. Are they coming for me? My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the hearts. See, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's the Lord there. And what does Lord mean? We're talking about joy, but what does Lord mean? If Habakkuk trusted a sovereign God, then what about the names of God? And what promises has God made for us to hold on to? When looking at the names of God, it is not just a name like we use it flippantly, but it is a reflection of the actions he performs. Let us just look at a couple names. 
There's Adonai, the God, my great Lord. God is the master and majestic Lord. God is our total authority. There's Elohim, the all-powerful creator. God is the all-powerful creator of the universe. God knows all, creates all, and is everywhere at all times. There's El Roy, the all-sufficient one, the God of the mountains, God Almighty. God is the all-sufficient source of all of our blessings. God is all-powerful. Our problems are not too big for God to handle. In one, of the, in one of the commentaries I read, all our problems are small. There's Emmanuel. God, <coughs> Emmanuel, God with us. God never changes. He pro His promises never fail when we are faithless. He is faithful. We need to obey him. There is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. God has provided the final cure for spiritual, physical, and emotional sickness in Jesus Christ. There's Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my, sh my shepherd. The Lord protects, provides, directs, leads, and cares for his people. God tenderly takes care of us as a strong and patient shepherd. Next one. So our joy, is it a feeling versus a doing? Look at the lady climbing the rocks over there. Climbing, nothing holding her there. Is she experiencing fear? Would you be experiencing fear? Okay. But the thing is, does fear direct where you're going? Or does she take out her hand, fight the fear, and move forward? You see, we need a focus in our life. And this focus is the Lord. See, trusting God because of who he is by the example he has set, turning towards him through prayer and supplication. The next one is, let your reasonableness and gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, if you're facing God, and, and, and that's how we should be living life, is live your life facing God. What other things fall in place when you're doing that? Because life sort of falls in place. And we all know that because we've experienced it. Rejoicing in the Lord helps us to be reasonable to everyone, including God, who is at hand. 
from God's perspective, are you following his example? Knowing God that is holy and is at hand. Surely this motivates you to being reasonable. Paul does not seek retribution for, though, for those who tr treated him un un unfairly. His focus in the letter was the people who were, who were receptive to the message. Judgment is the Lord's. But we are to emulate our Savior. We, are, <coughs> we, we show our love to Jesus by, the, <coughs> by looking at his life and death and following his examples, feeding his sheep and showing our love to our neighbors. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, this anxiousness, what is anxiousness? Have you put, can you see what it is? It's when you're looking the other way, you're not facing God. And we do it, often, more often than you think. You know what, I've been waiting for God, I've been praying for this for quite some time, um, I think I'm going to go do it. Hey? Or it's, God, you seem to be taking your time in answering my prayers. Are, are you still awake? You know? But that's what our hearts are saying in our actions when we don't trust God. Look, look at Habakkuk, where Everything was crumbling around him. He was still trusting in God. What would you be doing? Would you be trusting? God's got it. When laws get passed, has God, has God got it under control? You can do your bit, but you trust God. He's got the rest. Because quite often, we don't see the sovereign God at work. Why? Because he's invisible, and we want him to be visible. Because only then can we trust him. We don't look at the Bible. We don't look at history. Because history is recorded in the Bible. We don't look at his examples. What he sets for us. That he's got it under control. Even if our lives are taken. We will be with him. Which is better as Paul would say. But how do you turn and face God? It says it right over here. Prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. When you're praying. Who are you praying to? Maybe it's not God. But if you're praying to God, all of a sudden your whole demeanor is focusing on his word. It's focusing on where, what you should be doing. Supplication. Have a chat. Prayer is chatting to God. Let him know how, where your heart is and what you're doing and what you'd like to do. And putting all of this in light of what he's already given you. Read the manual, the Bible. And let God know. It says in Deuteronomy 31.5, It is the Lord who goes before you. Do you believe that? He will be with you. Do you believe that? 
He will not leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? Do not fear or be dismayed. And the peace of God, which, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is because you now recognize the change in you and others, a spiritual change. A spiritual change that God gives you to trust his word. One, one that is tied to an eternal goal, a godly goal, where you cannot fail because he is sovereign and he will bring it to completion. So trust in him and do what he has asked. Focus on his example in all things and give him praise always. And you will be a child of God with a heavenly home. Letting the hardships and pains of this life be looked at as a God-glorifying gift that strengthens us to help others for the work God has given us. If God is the one that will save his people, if you believe and have faith in Jesus, you cannot fail. Who can pluck you from the hand of God? You see, we saw that. The, uh, next one. There we go. You saw the previous one where the lady was climbing the rock surface. Yeah, you could be on the outside over there climbing the rock surface. Impossible. Or you can jump in the elevator. God said he's got it under control. Jump in the elevator. <laughs> you see, in, in the Psalm of David, and I'm going to read it again just like I read it a couple of weeks back. The Lord is my, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So now what? Now we know that we in the... <coughs> We, we in, in, in this body, will always battle to rejoice always in the Lord. I battle with it. You definitely battle with it at times. But know this, we all do. We must all be called back to God. We need to be rem reminded so that we do not go astray. Remember who God is. Talk to him and be reminded of who you are in him. 
and what he has called you to do. Trust him as history has recorded in the Bible. Know him because of the changes that have been done already in your life. You are unfaithful, but he is faithful. If he has forgiven you, you are forgiven. Trust him because he does not lie. He sees you and knows you and loves you so much more, so much that he died for you. He did this while you were enemies. So be joyful this day and always because God loves his adopted children, giving them good gifts. So now go out and live what you've heard.